Is inflation taking a bite out of your grocery budget? Andrews Federal Credit Union is here to help. Introducing our Inflation Buster Share Certificate with 5% APY for seven months, now through December 2nd. Bring your money to Andrews Federal Credit Union today. The Inflation Buster account must be open with new money. Andrews Federal Credit Union membership is not just for the military. We also serve the community. Visit andrewsfcu.org. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership eligibility required. APY equals annual percentage yield. Must have $1,000 minimum balance to earn advertised APY. Jazzcast Pros. Hello again. This is Pastor George Nicholas with the Igniting Hope podcast. And we have a, a great show planned for you today. And so one of the things that's very important that we do is get and develop Black scholars and the tradition of Booker T. Washington and George Washington Carver and Mary McLeod Bethune scholarship in the African-American community is critical. And so our guest today, it's a testimony to how a seed was planted in, and watered at one of our conferences. And now Dr. Williams has the tools, he's got the toolbox now, to begin to start addressing some of these issues around health disparities on the research side, which will eventually manifests itself in the area of policy and resources, which will directly impact the quality of life of our people. So be able to connect these dots, folks. Don't think that, oh, we're just getting into this heady esoteric conversation that won't affect our lives. No, it absolutely will affect your life and not only your life, but the life of your children and your grandchildren. And so our guest today, he is a scholar that was born and bred right here in our community, product of the Buffalo Public Schools, and then matriculating uh, on his journey to the University of Buffalo, where he earned his doctorate, his PhD in public health, and now is working in Los Angeles, at UCLA and doing some exciting, exciting work here. But I'm going to let him tell his story, Dr. Jamal Williams. And it's not Dr. Dre or Dr. Pepper. This is a doctor who has earned his doctorate within the classroom. So Dr. Williams, and I know we could be informal, but it's important for me to call you publicly, Dr. Williams, because it's very important for people to to understand that while we have challenges within our in our system here, the challenges aren't necessarily disqualifiers for you to achieve. So talk a little bit about your journey, how you got to where you are, and just the impact that the Igniting Hope Conference had upon your journey. Thank you for that introduction and for having me on, Pastor Nicholas. Uh, it is great to be here. I was born and bred on the east side of Buffalo, as you mentioned, went to public school, you know, the path wasn't, um, the path itself wasn't super linear, but I guess the the mission in itself was linear. And so I had a lot of zigzags to be able to get to this point, both prior to entering college and my own um, challenges, um, you know, outside of campus when I was in college. And those challenges I recognize can 
prevent a lot of other individuals from making it this far. Um, I don't think I was exceptionally well at dodging um, obstacles that I dealt with growing up and living on the east side of Buffalo. I think that's where luck came in. Um, it just so happened to be that I got lucky enough and fortunate enough that I was able to weather that storm and be prepared when opportunity came. And so my PhD is in neuroscience. Um, I graduated from UB in the Jacobs School of Medicine. And I got super interested in science because I thought this might be the tool that I could use to change a lot of things that I've seen observationally growing up. Just a walk to the corner store, you can see people talking to themselves and, you know, having atypical behaviors. And it's easy to just chalk that up and to say that, you know, this person's a drug addict or a drug fiend. But when you get to know people, when you know some of those people may be your relatives, which was the case with me, you learn more about their story and how actually beneath the addiction is a undertreated mental health disorder. So I could have done a lot of things with my life to try to tackle these issues, but I thought science would be a way to dispel a lot of those myths and a way to also work towards uh, potential treatments. And-, and being on the campus at the University of Buffalo was a very important uh, step that we took because we wanted to make sure that we invited the university to join us in this battle, this quest to bring health equity to Western New York, not only the medical school, but all the other disciplines, right? Because we know that what drives health disparities are not only what happens within the healthcare system, but more importantly are the, the lived environment, the social determinants of health, uh, the income, educational attainment, the physical lived environment, the quality of the housing stock, the quality of the air and water, interfacing with the criminal justice system and as we've has been highlighted recently after the tragic massacre of 10 of our beloved brothers and sisters when tops was shuttered and it created this crisis within the community around access to to healthy food and and so all those things uh drive those health outcomes and one of the things that is very important to us is our annual igniting hope conference four or five years ago, we had our inaugural Igniting Hope Conference, and uh, it was actually the first public event that was held at the New Jacobs School of Medicine right there on Main Street and located in the Fruit Belt. And at that time, we brought in uh, Dr. Stephen Thomas and Dr. Consuelo Wilkins and other scholars from around the country to talk about, you know, the work that they were doing to attack the issues of health disparities in their communities. And we made a commitment that day uh, that we would establish our our own community-based organization called the Buffalo Center for Health Equity. Uh, And then over time, we helped birth the UB Community Research Institute and the Erie County Department of Health Equity. As a graduate student, uh, it was very few people of color that were also graduate students within any of the departments. Um, Not only that, it was very few to no faculty that were of color that were doing scientific research. So while this mission was imprinted in my head within the research that I was doing and prestigious articles that I was reading, um, it seemed like that in itself was a problem, that people on the side of the bench doing experiments weren't people that looked like me. And that the subjects being used in those experiments 
weren't people that look like me. And so by default, the conclusions have deviated from where the truth lies, which the truth only lies in inclusivity. So in 2018, when I had the opportunity to attend the Igniting Hope conference, when I read about it, it was right up my alley. It was super interesting, but I couldn't I couldn't have imagined then the impact that the conference would have had on me. After attending the conference, I reflected and thought, you know, I've seen so many people of color from different disciplines in science and in medicine be able to tell their story, their research, and their work unapologetically, to be able to get up in front of a room full of prestigious academics, uh, a large majority of them being white, and to be able to challenge them to push the needle a bit further and to challenge them to tackling health inequities. And it was at that moment that the name of the conference itself was elicited within me, and that was Igniting Hope. And so while I had this mission to do this type of work, um, I didn't really know. I was still just a kid from East Side of Buffalo, although I had one of the academic ranks. I didn't really know what else was out there and these people that are really on the ground working towards these issues. So I was hopeful that I could, in my own career, continue the work. And glad to say that today, um, as a postdoc working under um, a world leader in neurogenetics, I'm able to utilize my time working and looking at genetic risk factors of autism specifically in African-American populations. Um, Igniting Hope really was kind of a catalyst at a very critical time for me. If you want more information about our Igniting Hope podcast, please log on to buffalohealthequity.org and you'll find all the information about the Buffalo Center for Health Equity and eliminate race-based health disparities in this region. We don't believe that your ethnicity, your race, the fact that you're an African-American and specifically should be a determining factor on of your health outcomes. And we know that African-Americans live in uh, certain zip codes, and we've documented this stuff, can be 300% more likely to have a chronic disease than, than a white person who doesn't live in those zip codes. And that we find in intolerable. And we're going to do all the work that we possibly can to change that narrative and change that reality. So Igniting Hope uh, 2022 will be August uh, 12th and 13th, um, right here again at the Jacobs School of Medicine. It's free. Uh, it's open. It's available. Uh, go on to buffalohealthequity.org and register today. We have some outstanding scholars that are going to be presenting and sharing with us. We have local leaders uh, who will be talking about food access. Uh, we're going to have some conversations about mental health, uh, help for our elderly, and also uh, some work around residential segregation and housing are going to be some of the areas that we're going to be talking about. And here we are in 2022. And we have been here in America, in North America since 1619, South Central America, 15, around 1519. We have seen civil wars, uh, world wars. We've shifted from the industrial age into a technological age. We have seen men and women walk on the moon. Our, our phones, our iPhones, or our galaxies, or whatever they have, and which are uh, libraries, uh, maps, 
stereos, television, movie theaters that you can carry right in, in your pocket. We have seen the election of the first man of African descent to be the president of the United States, the first woman of African descent to be the vice president of the United States. And yet, in 2022, Black people will live less years than white people. They will be sicker than white people. We are poor. We have less wealth than white people. Our children struggle in the public school system. We are more likely to have negative outcomes with law enforcement, and the list goes on and on and on. So as a young scholar and as a young African-American man, how and where do you think we need to move as a community? And why is it so important to have our movements to be driven by science and not just emotion. Now we can be emotional in our vigor, right? But what really needs to drive us is science in a lot of ways. So can you talk a little bit about why that is so, so important, especially as we, you know, as we move through the 21st century? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great question. And I think what we really have to do, simply put, is to get activated in science and medicine. And we can't stand on the sidelines any longer and point to historical situations where we were abused or we were taken advantage of. We can highlight those things. I have my own podcast, Reclaim the Bench. That's what the whole podcast is about, is to highlight those things. But we can't just talk about that and use that as a reason not to get involved. We have to get involved so that we can have representation because pointing to those to those things, we can see that the establishment and both science and medicine had no problem excluding us from clinical trials to medical device uh, research to uh, genetic ancestry uh, representation and research. And, you know, with healthcare becoming more precise and population specific, which is kind of the direction we want it to be, we're not really there. We're not really represented on either side. And so we need to get involved so that we can take ownership and so that we aren't mismanaged or abused. And so we aren't maybe even more importantly neglected in this precision medicine revolution that's taken off now. And so I think we need to take like this kind of like that kind of emotion that does exist, but we need to direct it in a way where we can say, hey, we've seen what happened and let's not make it happen. Let's not allow it to happen again, not by standing on the sidelines and pointing out that it happened, but getting involved. And, you know, we need more people of color in medicine to be represented. We need more people behind the bench in science um, to represent us. Because if we don't have that representation, even good-hearted people, good-hearted scientists and doctors and the whole biomedical field um, seem to always leave us out. And again, in 2022, that's where we stand. In my specialty, which now I work in um, genetics and looking at the kind of genetic contribution to disease, we've been overwhelmingly left out 
um, specifically um, in these things called G genome-wide association studies, where you just essentially sample the population for individuals who have a disorder and who don't, and then you look at genetic risk factors. Well, up until about seven or eight years ago, they were 97% European. And how is that when Europeans make up only about 16% of the world's population? We got 1.6 billion people in Africa. We got 1.3 billion people in India. We got 1.4 billion people in, in China. Uh, but how is the world's GWAS studies, which is for short for genome-wide associated study, 96, 97% European? And even today, 10 years later, after pointing this out in very prestigious articles, scientists have done a little bit better. But non-European, non-East Asian representation is still only about 2.5% of the whole pie. And so what, what can we do? We can get involved and we can start doing our own work and represent ourselves. Can you just share a little bit the implications of that? How those kinds of exclusion of our people in this process will impact resources uh, for treatment and the development of cures and treatments for chronic diseases? Well, for example, if we take people of African descent, we have the most genetically diverse genome of anybody else in the world because life started here but not all life left here. And so what that means is that as people spread and integrate it around the world and these different migration patterns happen like out of Africa, within Africa, there's still a lot of our genome that's still exclusive to us. Uh, there, even within Africa, there's still a lot of exclusivity to the genome depending on what part of Africa you work at. But across the African diaspora now, including in the US, we still carry the DNA of our ancestors. And that is somewhat special in the sense that nobody else has this kind of sliver of uh, genetic diversity, maybe about 20%. So why is that important? Well, it's important that, we, that we're figuring out now is because when you use genetic screening to try to get a more precise diagnostic and a person who the screening means that you apply it to some database, if you don't have representation in that database and you screen somebody outside of, let's say, European descent, how can you, how can a risk factor or a marker come up? How can it be flagged in the screening process if the database doesn't represent that population or people that's being sampled? And if we start to design treatment around uh, specific populations, well, how can we do that when we've only really sampled one population? We can't do it. And even now, we're still under the gun. Uh, we're still vastly, vastly unrepresented. And no matter how advanced the algorithm is right now, we cannot compensate for people not included in uh, those type of studies. And so different algorithms that's going to be used to look at genetic risk for disease won't work. Uh, if you try to run a clinical trial for a drug and you don't know how it applies to people outside of the dominant population within those studies, then we don't know that that medication can be applied ubiquitously. And so it's super important to have representation in science so that we can get the treatment that, that we deserve and that we need. So as you can hear, folks, the historical anti-Blackness and historical racism it's just woven through the thread of almost every discipline that you could talk about, whether you go think about law, 
when you think about it historically, when you, you know, if you read the historical books about medicine and how enslaved uh, Africans were experimented on to develop treatments, especially around OBGYN, but also uh, other disciplines. And we've known from, if you've been reading about artificial intelligence and, and algorithms and all this as relates to technology, there's been documented biases in those areas. As medicine um, advances, and, and trust me, there are tremendous, constantly tremendous advances in the, in the field of medical science. If there are things that used to be death sentences for us, for example, the notion of cancer, you know, when, when you got a diagnosis of cancer, that was, you know, pretty much a death sentence, you know, but now people are living. My own father was diagnosed with cancer 27 years ago, right? And he's 96, right? So that was, you know, medical advances. But if our people are not included in that process, then as medical science advances, then the impact upon the quality of life for Af of people of African descent won't be at the same level as people of European descent because we haven't been part of the process on both sides, on the research side, and then also on the uh, clinical trials sides, or even in, as as Dr. Williams said, even thought about, right, right, even before you just just saying, okay, here's a population that we're going to target, and that's going to be people of European descent, because we want whatever advances that we are able to come out come out of this process, we want to make sure it will impact this community at its highest level. And so this is very serious stuff. This is not like conspiracy, you know, they, they try to, you know, they try to get us all, right? This is just what's happening in the field and, and, and why it is so important, one, to be aware of this. That's why we have this Igniting Hope podcast. That's why we are going to have our Igniting Hope conference on August 12th and 13th. Again, buffalohealthequity.org. Go on, log on. Because we've got to have these conversations so that we can raise awareness. And then once we have the awareness, then we can develop approaches on how to address these things. Dr. Williams, as we're kind of rounding up our program, talk about STEM and math and science. When we see how poorly African-American children, African children in the Buffalo Public Schools are doing in math and science, and again, that's not my opinion. The data shows it. And then we hear conversations about lowering standards, you know, and allowing a child to advance from one grade to another if they get a 50 or a 60. Can you talk about the significance of only knowing 60% of the work of a discipline, how, how detrimental that is in terms of allowing for a child or to putting a child in a position where they can succeed? I, I can say from my own experience, um, you know, I've only had a platform and, you know, or, or what younger people would say clout um, because I've always been able to be um, at the top of my class. And so if I had only known 60% of what I was supposed to know, then I wouldn't have the platform to be able to represent in the ways that I did. 
But in fact, I had to learn about 250%, meaning I had to learn everything the books taught me, no matter how boring it was. And it is pretty boring the way that it's taught, I admit. Uh, but I had to take that knowledge and figure out how to go a step beyond so that I can feed myself and equip myself in ways that I can give back and be most of service in the future. And if we start getting in a mentality at a young age that it's okay to advance if you haven't mastered, achieved mastery, uh, it's okay to take a gap year or it's okay to goof off your first couple of years or, you know, not figure out, like, not know what you want to do and play around in college for a couple of years. Like, you know, I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's an unpopular opinion. But everything that I do know, you got to be on your game. Like, nobody's going to listen to you if you a C student. And if you Black, even nobody's going to listen to you if you're a B student. Um, Dr. Williams, as we're kind of rounding up our program, talk about STEM uh, and math and science. When we see how poorly African American children African American children in the Buffalo Public Schools are doing in math and science, and again, that's not my opinion. The data shows it. And then we hear conversations about lowering standards, you know, and allowing a child to advance from one grade to another if they get a fifty or a sixty. Can you talk about the significance of? only knowing 60% of the work of a discipline, how, how detrimental that is in terms of allowing for a child or to putting a child in a position where they can succeed. I, I can say from my own experience, um, you know, I've only had a platform and, you know, or, or what younger people would say clout um, because I've always been able to be um, at the top of my class. And so if I had only known 60% of what I was supposed to know, then I wouldn't have the platform to be able to represent in the ways that I did. But in fact, I had to learn about 250%, meaning I had to learn everything the books taught me, no matter how boring it was. And it is pretty boring the way that it's taught, I admit. Uh, but I had to take that knowledge and figure out how to go a step beyond so that I can feed myself and equip myself in ways that I can give back and be most of service in the future. And if we start getting in a mentality at a young age that it's okay to advance if you haven't mastered, achieved mastery, uh, it's okay to take a gap year or it's okay to goof off your first couple of years or, you know, not figure out, like, not know what you want to do and play around in college for a couple of years. Like, you know, I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's an unpopular opinion, but everything that I do know, you got to be on your game. Like, nobody's going to listen to you if you're a C student. And if you're Black, even nobody's going to listen to you if you're a B student. You got to be an A student. You got to know this stuff. And you got to be able to know where the work needs to be done. You got to put the time in. You got to put the effort in. But again, I admit this stuff is boring, right? And um, it, it seems like a big task to dismantle the whole system. Um, but a lot of people would agree that it probably should be, science should be taught in a way where we can figure out what's needed as opposed to taught in a way where these are just a bunch of facts and laws and theories that are unchanged. And that's something that we have to memorize. Uh, another thing that we kind of have to realize is that sometimes it's distracting, you know, hardcore science can't really compete with YouTube video games. It can't uh, compete with, 
maybe some other social economic issues that might be happening in an individual's life. But one thing we can we can do if it's not being done in schools already is we can teach study skills and we can teach like how to approach these sciences sciences and how to master them, as opposed to teaching the material and expecting that you know a kid is going to go home and master that material on their own. Um, so it, it is a bit tangled and a very complex issue, um, but it's not an excuse to not achieve mastery. We have to do that and more. Um, unfortunately, we have to work twice as hard. So again, we we stand on the shoulders of great scholars and scientists in this country. I mean, and we don't even have to go. I don't even want to go back to, you know, how science and medicine was actually developed on the continent, right, and all that. But I mean, we have that history too. But but when we think about just let's th- just keep the the small window of of african-american history and and our contributions the heart surgery by dr william hell william uh williams i believe and a blood transfusion is dr charles drew right the gas mask that uh basically saved america in the second world war uh was developed by uh, garrett morgan and and we have all these tremendous uh scholars that have made great contributions to. And so we have to, again, value scholarship and knowledge in our community. And we have to do everything that we can to create a community that provides an environment for our young people to excel, not to just pass, but to excel and we must we must create standards that we know a standard of excellence and that we must hold ourselves accountable to i always you know and i'm a great sports fan but i have mixed emotions right when you see parents at aau basketball and uh, little league football and cheerleading and all that and you just see like this great number of high level parent engagement <laughs> right and i and i sometimes i ponder and i wonder is there that level of engagement on that child's academic career they have the latest jordans but do they have the latest computer and there i understand all the social dynamics that create that those issues of make it difficult but they're not barriers that can't be overcome right and and so it's that balance of of doing systemic change but also calling our people to push each other and 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 to create an environment and i want you to close with this, your story about how your grandmother just made sure that you were in an after school program she she did that on on her own she didn't need anybody to make her do it and she didn't need a financial incentive to do it she didn't need anybody to pay her to do it she didn't need anybody to give her transportation to do it. She just knew that this is what her grandson needed. And whatever it took for her grandson to get what he needed in order to succeed, she was going to do. So let's close with that story a little bit and, and just to try to encourage our people that it can be done. Yeah. Uh, you know, my family, my mother, my grandmother, my aunts who helped raise me, um, you know, they, they couldn't provide me with anything of too much monetary value. Um, they, 
tried their hardest to distract me from um, things that I could have been doing after school and going to the after school program at Lincoln uh, was one of those things that um, had also had a great impact on me uh, during my childhood. Um, and another thing that had a great impact was I just love to read. And I think I found that love of reading because growing up in my grandmother's house, there was always so many people living there um, at different times and only like two TVs and being the youngest, uh, other people took precedent. Um, but, you know, they, they fed that, they fed that curiosity. Um, and we didn't have a lot of money. My grandmother would buy me books from a garage sales and um, different things like that. So uh, it was, I was always encouraged to do more academically. Um, I did play sports. I did get in trouble. I did have all those other things, but um, I did know the value of, um, of knowledge and um, that being the, the real key to making something of myself. And so I give much credit to my family who supported me in that way. I got lucky that I was able to dodge some bullets and to make it to the point where I can reflect on my foundation and what I think is going to be important to move forward. And when that time came, uh, I, I was ready. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. Uh, we can make our own luck and and doors and opportunities can be presented to us. And sometimes we, we don't fully take those opportunities. And so, you know, I commend you, Dr. Williams, Dr. Jamal Williams, for where you have, from where you started to where you are. And I'm excited about where you're going. And we've talked about some things. And later on uh, in subsequent shows, we're going to talk about some of the things that we're going to we're going to do these things in this community for this community for our people um and so uh this has been the igniting hope podcast uh, we're so grateful that again you've taken your time to spend some time with us go to buffalohealthequity.org like and share our podcast register register today and then tell three people that you're going to the igniting hope uh, a conference on August 12th and 13th and that you need to be there as well. Young people, you don't have to be an, a scholar. This is a community event and this is a place where where scholars and ordinary folk will can sit around the table and begin to figure out how do we going to move our community forward. We're going to bring it and we're bringing in some of the best scholars in the world this year again. Uh, for you, for your, this community. And so take advantage of that. You know, we got to stop making so many excuses and we got to start getting the, to the work that that needs to be done. And no one's coming to help us but us. So, you know, it was so interesting. As quick as Biden and, and uh, Vice President Harris got on them planes to come to Buffalo, they got on, on them even quicker to get out of Buffalo. So it's us that that's going to get this done and i have so much confidence in our people and our abilities to do what we need to do for us so this is pastor george nicholas signing off on, on the latest edition of our igniting hope podcast we love you and we look forward to the time when we'll get together again and i really look forward to seeing you thank you and god bless thank you this has been Igniting Hope Radio Podcast. We thank you for tuning in for your weekly dose of hope. 
Western New York, national and global listeners now have access to important content they need when they need it at home, at their desk, or on the go. So please go and check us out. If you're not already following us on Facebook, you can follow us on Facebook at Buffalo Health Equity. That's at Buffalo Health Equity. If you're on Twitter, follow us on Twitter at Igniting H, Igniting H. And if you're on Instagram, please go over there and follow us at Buffalo Center for Health Equity 18. That's Buffalo Center for Health Equity 18. Until next time, stay healthy, stay safe, be well, and don't lose the hope. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive, who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm gonna do this to protect myself. Do it for them, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org.